This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I went up to uh, my bedroom yesterday to work on my sermon a little bit and uh, just do some last-minute touch-up. And Maria came up, and I said, hey, if I'm not down in a half hour, come check on me, because we've got a baby, and she's awake during the night, and I get tired. I said, make sure I don't fall asleep. And she looked at me, and she said, if you fall asleep during your sermon, we don't stand a chance. And then she turned around and walked out. (laughs) And that, my friends, is a partner in life and ministry, if I've ever known one. A truth speaker is really what she is. And that was wonderful. Uh, Hey, I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, with New Life. And uh, I have more of my uh, reality in front of me than behind me, unlike Bob. So we'll just leave it there. Uh, You know what? He starts it, and I'm not too old to keep quiet. Uh, It's it's so so good to be here with you today, to be uh, starting off a new series. I actually missed the grand opening. I was with a team of students in the Dominican Republic uh, when we had our first service here, and so I missed that. So uh, for me, this is kind of a, a coming back and starting something new, uh, being able to celebrate with you in this. So I was celebrating with you in a different part of the world on that day, and today we're all, uh, we're all here together, uh, which is just fantastic. Uh, Maria and Madeline and I were walking to Starbucks recently, because we have a Starbucks right across the street, and so I'm pushing her in the stroller, and as we get, uh, we get closer, the power's out, and that made me nervous. Because uh, I hadn't had any coffee yet that day. <laughs> and we get up to the Starbucks and the lights are all off and there's a sign on the door that says Starbucks is closed because we have no electricity. We're sorry, please try the Starbucks on Commerce. I live up in Runner Park on Commerce. Or the Starbucks on Expressway. Which made me think, I wonder how many Starbucks there are uh, in the, Rohner, the greater Roner Park area. Uh, and <laughs> I did a little search on my phone. There are 17 Starbucks within six miles of my house. 17 Starbucks. So uh, that's, that's the reality that I live in, the reality of a, a caffeine-induced culture uh, and where Starbucks is making a killing. But in January, I went to India with Ron to, to uh, meet some, some new friends, some uh, family members in the faith, and, and do some work there. And uh, many of the people that I, I worked with, that I lived with, had never uh, seen a Starbucks let alone been inside of one. And that was the reality that they were living in. And I, I, was, uh, I was just pondering, thinking about the fact that um, our realities are very different. Uh, my experience has shaped one reality, and my friends in India, their experience has shaped another reality. Uh, and that continues on in, in every aspect of life. We were driving to a picnic yesterday, and uh, we drove past uh, Pacific Market, and a guy ran out of Pacific Market with three Pacific Market uh, workers chasing him. And I had Maddie in the car, so I didn't want to, like, pull over and go and, you know, get tough with the guy. Uh, Not that I could have done a lot. Uh, But I watched him. Well, he must have stolen something. That's all I can figure out was that he stole something. And Maria's like, follow him, follow him. Uh, We uh, we didn't. But it it was interesting that that this person's reality uh, was that they deserved whatever it was that they were taking, and they didn't need to pay for it. Uh, reality, it, it shapes the way we view life. It shapes everything that we, we do, and not just in, in small things like where I can get coffee or whether or not I should take a candy bar. I mean, wars are fought over different perceptions of reality. The way that we view other people, the way that we view our place in the world, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people die every day because there are different pictures of what reality is and what reality should be. And so it's a huge question we need to ask, is there some sort of ultimate reality? Is there some sort of, of mode of being that is true, that is always true, uh, and that we can follow with our lives? Because if my reality is narrow and fo- focused in one direction, and your reality is focused in a different direction, uh, we're, we're missing the bigger points of life. Well, Jesus says there is a reality. There is a truth. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. When we ask, what is ultimate reality? Jesus says, I am ultimate reality. Look to me for your picture of what is and what should be. We're going to be spending some time in Luke chapter 9 for the next number of weeks. We're going to be looking at Jesus' life the things that he said, the things that he did, uh, the people that he encountered. And we're going to be asking ourselves, what is the reality that we see when we focus on Jesus? What is he showing us uh, about uh, the world around us? What is he showing us about our place in that world? And we have to ask ourselves, am I open, am I willing to let my reality be formed by Jesus's reality? Am I open to the, the fact that I might have a small picture of what the world is and what the world should be, but that God has a vast picture of what the world is and what the world should be. If the answer to that question is yes, then we find transformation in our lives. We find wholeness in our lives. We find our our worldview opened up and exposed to things that we never thought possible. We become become, uh, people who say, Uh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We become people who say, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because your reality, the things that you are doing are good and right and true. So today, and every time we open up our Bibles, every time we pray, every time we gather together, we need to ask, am I willing to, to set aside what I think should be and open myself up to what God says should be, and can be, and is becoming. Because Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection, God raising him from the dead, changed what is, what can be, and what is coming. And he's bringing that in now, when he says, would your kingdom come on earth, here, now, as it is in heaven? Let me pray for us. Uh, God, would you open us up to the things that you have for our community today? Lord, would you help us to lay down what we think should be and pick up what you say can be? Wherever we are uh, this morning, would you be uh, speaking to us that we would leave this place as transformed people who experience your healing, your wholeness, uh, who experience full life, and then go out and, and help others experience that transformation? God, would you speak today? Amen. Uh, there are some notes called New Life Notes in uh, your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, if you're a note taker, feel free to do that. I left some space on the back. If something strikes you and you just want to write a little note to yourself, go ahead and write that in. Um, if you're not a note taker, just keep it up here. We're in Luke 9, uh, verse 10 this morning is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 9, verse 10 says, When the apostles, Jesus' 12 followers, when they returned— They reported to Jesus what they had done, and he took them with him 
and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. A little background. Whenever we get into the Bible, we have to ask, what just happened? Where are we coming from? Because that tells us where we're going. So in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out his 12 followers, his disciples, on their first big ministry opportunity. He sends them out in twos to all of the villages, and he says, go and proclaim the good news and heal people. And I love the way those two are put together. Speak the good news of God, the realities of God, and heal people. Usher in those realities as you go. And they go out. And the Bible says they did it. They went out in groups and they preached about this good news that God was breaking into the world, that God was doing something new, that God was restoring all things back to himself. And they healed people and people came and they were experiencing God and lives were changed and transformed. And and then they come back to Jesus. And that's where we pick up uh, in verse 10. And they have these dueling emotions. They are excited because they've experienced God. They're overwhelmed with the things that God has been doing in them and through them. And people are coming, lots of people are coming to experience God. And at the same time, they're exhausted. They've been going out to all the villages. Think about that. Twelve guys in groups of two to all the villages, preaching and and healing and just going and going and going and giving themselves out, pouring themselves out for God. And, And so they're excited and they're exhausted and they have these dueling feelings going on in their lives. Last week, we finished The Great Adventure, and I think there were something like 250 of us on leadership teams for The Great Adventure. Uh, And if you were on one of those teams, and even as you were just engaging with God during this time, I know you probably have some conflicting emotions. You are excited about the things that God did. God was moving powerfully in our community. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, kind of, so, maybe. Is, Is that true? Was God moving? Yeah, that's something to be excited about. Praise God for that. And so we're excited. Man, God was transforming our lives. God was doing a powerful work through us. We got to see new people in our community come in and really invest themselves in God's work and bringing about this new kingdom. And at the same time, if you're like me, man, you were probably exhausted at some point. I left. I was working with the students' teams on Sunday, uh, and I was one of the last ones here at the church that uh, afternoon. And I left, and my feet were sore. Man, my back was sore, and I'm too young to have a sore back, but my back was sore, and I was just tired. I wanted to go, and I wanted to lay down. I was exhausted. I wanted rest. The story that we're talking about this morning is actually found in all four of the stories of Jesus' life, all four of the Gospels. Uh, And in Mark, uh, we're told that there were so many people coming and going when the disciples came back, so many people around, that they didn't even have time to eat. They were just going and going and going, and they were exhausted, but they didn't even have time to eat. You ever have a day like that? Where you you pack a good lunch, you put it in the fridge, but then you go and go and go, and then at at 3 or 4 o'clock you realize, man, I haven't eaten all day. All I had is a cup of coffee from one of the 17 Starbucks within six miles of my house. I call that a surprise fast. And man, I, I just wish I had prayed at some point throughout the day, because that's really what it's about but it's like, surprise, hey, you forgot to eat. So I usually run downstairs and eat really quickly uh, so that I can go home and make it for dinner later and still be hungry. Um, but th- this is what's happening with these guys. They come back and they need to rest, but they're still going. So many people are coming and going that they don't even have time to rest. And in Mark, Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And he takes them away to Bethsaida. Jesus' plan is to pull his followers away, to give them rest, to sit with them, to talk with them, 
to share with them in their joys, in their successes, to laugh, to, to debrief their failures, to grieve with them when they're hurting, to pull them out of the everyday life. And that's the reality for us as well. When things are busy, when we're going hard, Jesus is looking to take us out of the busyness of everyday life and to get us some time to connect with him. See, he wants to connect with you. There's this interesting cycle in the world uh, that God created of, of times of going and times of stopping, times to work and times to rest. We see that in the day, right? There's times to work in the day, and then we need to sleep. If, you, uh, if you've pulled an all-nighter, you know that, that going and going and going without ever stopping gets difficult after a while. It was interesting, before electricity was created, was invented, um, people would work when the sun was up, and they would rest when the sun was down. And, and those were long days, let's be honest. We're talking 12-hour work days. But it wasn't until the invention of electricity that people worked 15, 18, 20 hours without ever stopping. That's not the way that God created reality. God created reality to be in seasons, to be in cycles, to be in rhythms of going and of stopping, of going and of resting. Last, a week ago Friday, uh, was the concert of prayer. And, and I came and I, I experienced God in a very real way. Uh, there was a slide up on the screen and it said something to the effect of, what if the problem isn't that God is not speaking to you? What if the problem is that there's so much busyness and so much noise in your life that you can't hear him? And then we were um, kind of taken into a time of silence to try to quiet ourselves. And in that moment, God began to speak to me. God began to tell me uh, the things that he thought about me. God began to remind me why he had called me here to new life and where he was, was taking me and taking our church, and it was humbling. And the only way that I can describe that moment that I had with God was it was beautiful. When I finally slowed down and listened and rested, he spoke words of truth, words of love, words of encouragement, words of vision uh, to me. A few minutes into that time, uh, Heather, who was leading our worship, uh, she brought us back into a time of musical worship. And I just thought, no, no, not yet. Not yet. And it's not that I don't like Heather. She's, she's got a very nice voice. I like talking to her. I like listening to her. I, I, I want her to lead me. But at the same time, man, it was nothing compared to the voice of God. It was nothing compared to what God wanted to say to me in that moment. It was a powerful, powerful time. God set us up in cycles. He wants to take you out of the busyness of your life and get time to connect with you. Now, we're going to keep going in verse 11, and it might seem a bit confusing because things switch a little bit here on the disciples. Uh, but don't worry, we will get back to the idea of rest in just a few minutes. But verse 11 says this, the crowds learned about it, learned that they were crossing over uh, the sea, and they followed him. And he, Jesus, welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. So they're on a boat. And uh, Mark chapter 6 says that the crowds recognized that it was Jesus crossing over, and the crowds began to run around the shoreline to get to him. Imagine that. You're in a boat. Jesus says, let's go away and be by ourselves for a few minutes. And you look, and there are thousands upon thousands of people running around the shore, screaming, Jesus, Jesus, we're over here. Wait, wait for us. We'll meet, we'll meet you on the other side. We'll, we'll get you over there. We'll catch you on the flip. Um, and we're told later on in the story there are about 5,000 men, but that doesn't count women and children, so it could be upwards of 10, 15,000 people, young, old, men, women, people who are sick, people who are crippled, being helped along the shore, 
coming around, and the disciples look at that, and they think, no. What, what about us? We've been going hard. Isn't it time for, for our rest? Isn't it time to get what Jesus had promised? How, how do you view interruptions? Do you see them as a gift? Do you see them as a nuisance? Uh, I got to be honest, I really like being around people. Uh, so oftentimes, I, I view interruptions of people as a gift. Uh, but there are days when uh, I've got my day set up, hour by hour by hour, and I don't really have space for people to come in. And when um, people come in and interrupt me then, it does feel like a bit of a nuisance, like a bit of a, an interruption, like a bit of an assault on my time. Not when any of you come in, of course. Uh, I'm talking about other people uh, outside of this community. Um, but how, how about you? How do you view interruptions? Uh, I think for many of us, uh, they're distracting. They take us away from what we think we really should be doing. But there are certain interruptions that I love. One in particular, uh, Madeline, our little baby girl, started saying dada last week. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I thought it was cute as well. Um, I was walking out of the house and Maria said, uh, bye-bye dada, and Maddie said dada, dada, and I ran back to her. I mean, I was compelled to go, and I dropped down on my knees, and I said, say dada, dada, and then she just stared at me and drooled. <laughs> But she kept saying it, dad, 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 dad. And for those of you cynics out there, I know she's just at the stage where she's putting consonants and vowels together. It doesn't mean anything, but I am dad, dad. And she looks at me and she says it. So whether she recognizes that or not, man, it means something to me. And every time I hear her say dad, dad, I am just drawn into her. I'm compelled to come over. And uh, I'm not going to say that she's a genius per se, uh, but when she starts saying dad, dad, I ask her questions and she always gets them right. It's amazing. She'll start saying, dad, 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 dad. I'll say, who's your favorite? Dad, 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 dad. Who do you love the most? Dad, 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 dad. Who's the only man in your life? Dad, 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 dad. We'll see. She's 100% right now with questions. Uh, time will tell. These disciples are expecting rest. They're expecting time alone with Jesus. What they get is an interruption and they deserve rest. Let's not forget that they have been working hard for God. But this interruption comes in. People come in. And my guess is that they're a little annoyed. My guess is that they see this as an assault on their time, on their space, on their, their connection with Jesus. But Jesus sees the crowd. He looks at them. The young, the old, the men, the women, the crippled, those who are dying, being carried around to him. He hears them yelling. He hears them calling for him. And my guess is, that he sees God's children and he hears them saying, Dada, Dada, Dada. You see, Jesus knows God's heart. When he sees people in pain, he hears them calling out, God, I need you. God, I, I, I want you. God, come to me and heal me. For Jesus, it's not an interruption. For Jesus, people are a gift. People are the point. People are, are why he was here. And so he goes to them, and he begins to talk about the kingdom of God, and he begins to heal many who need healing. It's interesting, he does the same thing he sent his disciples out to do. He tells them what God is doing in the world, and he shows them how God is doing it by healing many who needed it. You see, people aren't an interruption. They're not a nuisance to God. And so if that is God's reality, then that has to be our reality. They shouldn't be an interruption to us. Over and over and over again in the Bible, 
Uh, people come to Jesus. Little children come to him, and his followers send them away. Say, get out of here. Don't bug Jesus. He's teaching. But Jesus says, you know what? Uh, to these guys belongs the kingdom of God, and he blesses them, and he lays his hands on them. Uh, old teachers come to Jesus, and he takes time for them. Uh, Roman guards come to Jesus. He takes time for them. Prostitutes come to Jesus. He takes time for them. The lowest of the low come to Jesus. He takes time for them over and over and over again in the Gospels. We see this. People aren't an add-on. People aren't an interruption. People are the reason. People are an unexpected gift if we view reality the way Jesus views reality. And, And I was thinking about this. What would happen if we actually did take hold of that? Just small things. Someone comes to your desk for the fourth time and asks you the same stupid question they've asked three times before. And rather than rolling your eyes, you give them an answer and you're kind to them. And all of a sudden, in some small way, they're experiencing God's grace. Or it's been a long day. You go to your favorite taco shop and get your favorite super burrito and you go home and you're ready to dig into it and the phone rings. And you see who it is and you know it's a friend who's got some problems, some stuff going on in their life. But you don't hit cancel and pretend like you didn't notice. You answer the phone and you listen to them and you talk with them and you pray with them. And you realize, you know what? I can heat up my super burrito in the microwave. This person is more important than my dinner. All of a sudden, they're experiencing some of God's compassion. Or when a person on the street says, hey, do you have any spare change? You say, you know what? Let's go grab a sandwich together. I'll buy my treat. All of a sudden, that person is experiencing some of God's provision. When people stop being an interruption to us and start being a gift, God's power is shown. God is moving forward in the community. And I think because we don't live in a world uh, that values people like that, I think that it will transform lives. Not just our lives, but the lives of our friends, our family, the people in Petaluma, in Sonoma County. I think it will transform lives all over the world. I think Jesus is starting this revolution of loving people, and he's calling us to follow. Well, the story goes on. Notice we haven't seen the disciples up to this point. Uh, Jesus is the one doing the work. They're sitting in the back. My guess is they're kind of grumbling, complaining, maybe catching a nap. Uh, Verse 12 says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, and they said, Send the crowds away so that they can go into the surrounding villages to the countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go out and buy food for all this crowd. And there were about 5,000 men there. uh, Plus, we can imagine women and children. He said to his disciples, have the group sit down. And about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. These crowds have left everything to follow Jesus. They don't have food. They don't have a place to stay they have seen that the Lord is good. I think when these 12 disciples went out and they started talking about the goodness of God and the goodness of Jesus and healing people, it drew people in. They said, we, we gotta follow this Jesus. We have to. We're compelled to him. He, he is truth. He is reality. And so they left everything and they followed him, but now we're in this, uh, this desolate place, uh, this lonely place, and it's nighttime, and they don't have food. They don't have somewhere to stay. And the disciples say, send them away. It's finally our time. We've gone even more than we wanted to. Now it's our time. The problem 
is that, that the biggest village around is probably only about 3,000 people. And so we're talking about maybe 10,000 people, maybe more. Uh, and that presents a bit of an issue. Where are they going to go? I think there are around 55,000 people in Petaluma. Imagine if you walked out of church this morning and 110,000 extra people were here trying to find food, trying to find a place to stay. It would be chaos. And, and so the disciples are like, what are we going to do? We've got to send them away. But Jesus says, no, I won't send them away. You give them something to eat. And they look at him and say, you're crazy. You're crazy. We've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Even if we went out and bought food for everybody, it'd be like a little tiny bite per person. Never enough to satisfy. It's funny, the book of John uh, tells the same story, and it says actually the disciples didn't have anything. They didn't have loaves or fish. So Jesus said, you give them something to eat, and they began to look around, and one of the guys found a little kid with some bread and some fish, and I think he took it from him. And he said, he said this young boy, he has loaves and fish, and, and we can use that. But they don't have anything either. And, and so they say, this is what we've got, Jesus. We're, we're out of options. You're asking us to feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, and we've got five loaves of bread and two small fish. We literally cannot do anything with that. So you take it. You take it. It's interesting, I think, uh, when we look at the realities of the world around us, it tells us, you know what? Use your gifts and use your abilities, and if you use them well enough, you will succeed in life. Some of us have found out that no matter how gifted we are and how able we are uh, with the state of the economy today, we aren't succeeding, at least financially. And that's a scary thing for a lot of us. Um, many of us are succeeding, and, and that's a nice thing. That's a good thing. But I think we get in danger when we translate uh, that into our relationship with God, serving God. When we think, you know what, I can take these gifts and these abilities, and even though they're good, they're given from God, I can take them, and on my own, I can use them and do something with them. But I think sometimes Jesus is saying, uh, I want you to feed 10,000 people. That's what I have for you. And we look at him and we say, my gifts and abilities don't add up to a whole lot more than five loaves of bread and two small fish. I can't do that. On my own, I have no way of doing what you're asking me to do, God. I think sometimes uh, our dreams for what we can do with God and for God are way smaller than God's dreams of what we can do with him and for him. But in order for that to happen, we have to take our, our gifts and our abilities, our loaves and our fish, and say, here, Jesus, you take them. Make them into something that you can use. I literally can't do anything apart from you. So the disciples give him the bread. They give him the fish. And Jesus says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples and he gave them to the disciples and he gave them to the disciples and they set it before the people and set it before the people and set it before the people. And I think Jesus has a sense of humor here because now these guys are waiting on 10,000 people when they're tired. Now they're just going and going and going. He's like, here, we got more. And they're like, more? What are you talking about more? I gave you five pieces of bread and, and two fish. But Jesus just keeps on passing it out, keeps on passing it out. And all the people ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of bro broken pieces that were left over. 12 basketfuls left over. Last week, we ended a, uh, a 35 days of prayer. 
And we, we prayed every day, God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in this church and in our community? And, and even though we've ended that prayer time, I don't think we can stop saying that prayer every day. Because when we say, God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in this church and the community? What we're doing is we're giving God our loaves and our fish. We're giving God our gifts and our abilities and saying, God, would you use these for something bigger than I can imagine? Would you use these to make an impact in the world? God, I know you can do more through me than I can ever do on my own. So God, take this. What do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in the church and in our community? When we give our gifts over to God, he's going to use them to do far more than we can ever imagine or do on our own. That's just the reality of the way that God works. And I love the way this section ends. Remember back in the beginning, I said we'd get back to this. Jesus wants to take him away to rest, take him to a quiet place. And the very next verse, verse 18, says, Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. Luke tells us that the disciples actually do end up getting time alone with Jesus. It's not when they think it's going to happen. And I think they grumble and complain because they think, God, it's time for me to rest now. And Jesus says, you can go a little further. You can do it. I have more for you to do. But I will give you rest in the end. They're in a lonely place. They're in a quiet place. They're resting with God as he prays. And that's good news for us. If we're tired, if we feel like I don't see the end in sight, Jesus will make good on his promise. He set up cycles of work and rest. And he will meet us in those times. He's not going to push us further than we can go. He's not going to leave us or abandon us when we're tired. He is going to keep walking with us through the busy times and take us to places of rest. That's a promise. That's the reality. So even if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I'm exhausted and I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, God is saying, I will give you rest. I will meet with you because you cannot do the things for me and with me that I'm calling you to do unless we have these times together. If you're here this morning and you've never come into a, a deeply passionate relationship with God, I'm not just talking something on the surface. I'm talking a deeply passionate relationship with God where you know that he is talking with you and hearing you and laughing with you, where he's walking with you through the pain, where he's bringing healing into your life, where he's calling you to say, take, take these loaves, take these fish, and use them. God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? If you've never entered into that type of relationship, then God is inviting you today, right now, into that reality. So I'm going to pray in a few minutes, uh, and basically I'm just going to give you some time to do business with God. Uh, If you've never come into that type of relationship, there's no magic thing you have to say. Just say, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me, because I believe that your reality is ultimate reality. Your way is the way. You are the truth, and in you there is life. God promises that he'll walk with you every step of the way. So join me, and let's, uh, let's pray, and then let's engage in worship. God, we want to experience your reality as a community. Jesus, we continue to ask, what do you want to do through us to accomplish your will in this church and in our community, and even beyond that, in Sonoma County and around the world. God, what is it that you want to do? We give ourselves over to you. Lord, would you speak words of truth, words of love, words of vision, words of calling into each of our lives that we would be able to follow you and know where you're guiding us. Lord, would you give us the strength to do that? Now, in the stillness of this moment, 
if you're here and you've never come into a relationship with God, I invite you just, just ask. Just ask him. There's no better uh, place to be than in a relationship with God where he's leading and guiding you and bringing healing and wholeness into your life. Jesus promises that he will walk with us in this. So this is your time to do business with him. Lord, in the silence, uh, we commit to keep waiting on you. And Lord, we'll look for places to rest and walk with you, places to listen to where you're taking us. And God, as you guide us, we commit to walking with you. Thank you for uh, your reality, your truth, your life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.